Welcome back to Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today is episode 217 of the podcast, and I'm joined in conversation by Ross Harkness. Ross is a peak performance and personal branding master, and he helps his audience of over half a million people online to pursue their potential through mastery and peak performance. This podcast is absolutely jam-packed, but you can expect to learn the three components of self-mastery, two vital tools that will help you to live a life that you want and ensure that you're conscious working towards it, why ego can be a good thing, and why a lot of productivity advice is actually a total scam. I loved hosting Ross, and he has so much wisdom and actionable advice that's so far beyond his years. You're going to finish this conversation with so many actionable takeaways, so many notes written down on your phone or on a piece of pen and paper that you're going to want to take forward while still enjoying the fact that Ross and I are just having a great chat about his life, his story, and his perspectives. One section I want to highlight before we start the episode is just how valuable Ross's own self-awareness is when it comes to him building a business that suits his personality and his traits, something that many of us overlook when we are chasing success and our path is sometimes ignoring that we have our own traits and personalities and quirks that we need to be aware of. Today's podcast is sponsored and supported by my podcast masterclass. And that feels very cool to say, being able to bring you something of real value from the lessons that I've learned over the last three years to growing, scaling, and sustaining a world-class podcast. The vast majority of podcasts fail. They fall over. Millions stop after episode three, and then another 9% stop after 20 episodes. What you can do is you can build something that has got true longevity, true value in the longer term, and is a real asset for your personal brand your business, or whatever you're choosing to grow. I have learned so much over these last three years that I've distilled down into a nine-module video course which you can follow through and includes information on the, the nuts and the bolts, so equipment and software, templates for managing and reaching out to guests. But more importantly than that, it will also support you to research for your upcoming guests, to ask the best possible questions, prepare for interviews, and really be calm and collected as a host and not be worried or nervous about having somebody on the other side of the microphone that you're not too sure if how to get the best from, you're going to be in the best possible position to launch something that will last, get past that stumbling block of three and nine and 20 and however many episodes and really, really build and scale. At the time of recording in November 2023, the link to get involved is www.mypodcastmasterclass.thinkific.com. It'll be linked in the show notes. I am playing around with the domain names at the moment and I should in due course have mypodcastmasterclass.com. But if you are, you can go into the link in the show notes and hit that there and get involved and follow through the nine module course. You may or may not have seen on my email list that I am going to Dubai. So I'm going to be in Dubai for a couple of weeks in December, and I'm looking forward to recording some incredible podcasts out there. If you're listening to it before then, please make sure that you are dropping in some suggestions on my email list or on Instagram. I'll be reaching out to potential guests out there that you want to hear from. The show is going in such a fantastic direction. It's grown so much over the last six months, and I'm having amazing conversations with people like Ross, and that can only continue to happen if you continue to support the show. So please do make sure you're subscribed or following on whatever platform you're on and if you're enjoying this one take the time to share it with a friend put it into a group chat put it on your instagram story wherever you think somebody will benefit from this episode please do pass it on we really do grow one sincere recommendation at a time but that's quite enough for me the music's about to play and you can hear from myself and mr ross harkness Ross, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited for this one. Colin, my man, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I want to ask you about a term that's synonymous with Ross Hartness, and that is self-mastery. 
when did you first become aware of that term yourself? So self-mastery was sort of like a gradual thing I came across, you know, which is one of the things I've actually found with most concepts. It's very, at least for me and most turning points, it's very, very few big impacts. It's normally gradual. So I came across self-mastery. I was either watching a YouTube video or something and somebody just mentioned the term self-mastery and it sort of clicked with me. I started researching it and all, but I found there was like nothing out there. Like there's no real solid thing about what is self-mastery, how do you achieve it or anything. So I decided, right, I'm go I'm really interested in this. It was a curiosity I had. I felt myself sort of being pulled towards it. So I sat down, I started writing about it, creating content around it and sort of built my own philosophy around it that way. Yeah, that's really cool. I think when you find something that draws you in like that, it's really exciting to like like you say, you were pulled towards it and pushed towards it. And it's not necessarily something that was like an immediate game changer. And I think that's one of the parts that I'm really interested to talk about in your story is that you aren't necessarily someone that like a lot of traditional creators or traditional entrepreneurs that are really famous these days, they maybe like hated the school system, really struggled in it, found found them like sanctuary or a, a, a method of moving forward in this online world. You were actually going down the traditional path and doing quite well in it, but you also built this on the side. And it's quite exciting that, it's not just that traditional story where, oh, fuck school, hate school, needed to go and do this. It's a case of like, well, I was bobbing along. It wasn't filling me the way that I hoped it was, but I'm actually able to pursue this other area. And like, look at you now. It's like, it's what a story. Yeah, man. Like I, I was always good at school. Like I always was able to, like, I was naturally relatively smart, but I was always able and willing to sit down and study. Like it was something I always had from GCSEs to A-levels. I was always able to just, okay, I have an exam. I'm going to sit down and study for it because I don't want to feel. And I think that's a big driver in a lot of things I do is I don't like feeling. I don't like the more embarrassment of it. So it sort of drove me that there, okay, I'm studying so I don't feel so that I hopefully do better than most people in my class or whatever. But yeah, I went to university twice because I did sport and then I dropped out of it and did finance. And it was sort of at the tail end of sport of my sport degree before I dropped out, it was around then that I started building online. That's super interesting. And I know you said you moved to, to York and the listeners, if they're astute, they'll realize you've got a, a Northern Irish accent. And I'm just wondering, what was it like moving away from home at quite a young age as well? And how much of a role did that play in you maybe not thriving at university the way that as a straight A student, you, you might have done? I've always been very introverted. I've always been like, you could throw me in a room and as long as I have a laptop to work on and like the option to go to the gym i don't have to talk to anybody like i could complete like i do a podcast or have a conversation with somebody and i'm drained like i'm completely drained so i'm very introverted so moving away didn't really bother me it was something i was rather excited to do i was rather excited to you know have that sort of independence but it was more so like going over to university in a different country, even though it's not that far away and it's relatively similar, you're still going into a completely new space and you're completely thrown in your own. There's no transition period. And trying to, what I found at York was a lot of people already had friendship groups, weirdly. I don't know how they knew each other or at least it just felt that way. Everyone had sort of friendship groups. And then you're sitting there and you're like, okay, how am I going to make friends with these guys? And then because I was introverted, I was happy to just be like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll be by myself. I'll be fine. And then, you know, also the factoring in the degree, 
sport was, and this is, I'm not anti-university, I'm not anti, anti-education at all, but I think one of the main problems is that you're choosing what you're going to do for the rest of your life when you're 16. Like I chose sport when I was 16, 17, because I enjoyed sport. I enjoyed PE at school, you know, and then you get to, even I was only 18, 19, I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't want to be a PE teacher or something like that. It just wasn't for me. So that's when I sort of was like, right, okay, I need to make a change. Your level of self-awareness around your introversion is really important. And I know that you've spoken about and written about previously that you decided not to pursue like a Facebook marketing um, ads agency style business because of the number of calls you were having to do on a regular basis. And I think a lot of people should take note on where you've decided to like plow your furrow and like really push forward and it meets some of those needs in terms of you're able to build and scale on the laptop yes you'll do the occasional podcast and be selective in that because of the, the nature of how it feels for your energy whereas you see some people be like oh such and such is making money in this field i'm gonna go and do it without understanding their personality type or their energy levels or their flow or whatever terms you want to use sometimes aren't compatible with the areas that they choose to go down yeah, man one of the things i think is a major problem is that people just go through life mindlessly they don't know what they want what aligns with them and like don't get me wrong that was me for the vast majority of my life and you know it's only really looking back that i can sort of identify that introversion that i have now and now i can use it to my strength but at the time you know i was sort of unaware of it because i would force myself to do things i would force myself to go out drinking and go out partying even though i hated it and it would sort of I'd wake up the next day and whether I was hungover or not, I'd be like, why do I feel so empty? Why do I feel so crap? You know, so I think just understanding what you want and like, especially one of the best things I've ever done is sit down and decide, okay, what do I want my exact day to look like from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep? And I can tell you this, it does not involve any calls. So I steered away from the likes of Facebook ads and all because I had, I had the agency going I was doing decently, but like, I hated calls. I hated them. So now I'm with the pivot I've done. I've allowed myself to take calls of people who I want to talk to rather than having to take a call. There's so much in that, that people need to recognize. Like you say, it's, it doesn't obviously come immediately to you. Like there's an element of hindsight and reviewing, like this is how I felt at that particular time, make that makes more sense. And as you self-develop, which is what so many people that are listening to this are attempting to do over the longer period, it's much easier to rationalize what's happened before and make sure that you learn those lessons moving forward rather than being like, oh yeah, you know, when I really felt like quite empty with all this partying and all this socializing in freshers, it wasn't just the fact that I was hungover. It was actually the fact that it was activities that didn't align with how I want to be, even though that's traditionally what 17, 18 year olds love to do and want to do. If it doesn't light the fire for you at that point in time, there's probably a reason for that. And let's make sure that you don't fall into that same trap of maybe following the same traditional path that, oh, that's what 22 year olds do. Oh, that's what 25 year olds do at that, at that age, because it didn't serve you previously. So it's probably not going to serve you now by just following the, the sheep. Yeah, man, there's nothing, there's absolutely... It's especially in the UK. I think this is a big, I, I imagine it applies everywhere, but I think especially in the UK, there's a big problem with sort of a small minded mentality, like a small town mentality. You know, what is it where you, it's top poppy syndrome, I think it is. Yeah. So it's, there's a big problem with that in the UK where you feel, okay, I need to be doing what everybody else is doing. I can't put myself out there. I can't take a risk. I can't pursue what I want to pursue because 
I'll, I'll take it back a wee bit. When I was in high school, so between the ages of like 12 and 16, I was creating YouTube videos and I was like setting up my phone and I was recording me playing Call of Duty and I would upload them. And somehow or another, people in school would find out and they would take the piss out of me. They would make fun of me, not like bullying or anything, but you know, they'd, they'd make fun of me and I'd be like, oh no, because I, I wasn't, obviously I was young. I was not self-confident at all. So I would delete the YouTube channel and then just make another one and eventually repeat the process. And around the age of 16, I basically stopped doing that. You know, so it's one of them things in that example, I was curious about something. I was passionate about something, but because of the opinions of others, I stopped doing it because nobody else is doing it. I stopped doing it. I was like, okay, eventually, basically my rationality around the age of 16 was, okay, I've done this for three, four years and I've never not got the piss taken out of me. I've never not got made fun of for doing it. I can't be doing this, especially because I have a big thing around status and status. I do not like being a lower status than somebody else. It's it's something I've obviously trying to deal with, but it can't benefit you, but it can also hold you back. So someone making fun of me and allowing them to sort of control what I, what I do in the form of not making YouTube videos, it really seemed to me felt, or it really damaged my ego and like my status play. So I just stopped that so they no longer had that power. It's amazing how much our evolutionary programming is still with us because ultimately, you wanted to be part of the tribe in mm. school. You wanted to be in the crowd where you weren't the butt of the jokes. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a difference between like a bit of banter and being like taking the piss out of in terms of like, oh, there's Ross in his videos again, or, oh, Ross was going to show us how to snipe, like get a better KD, whatever the term yeah. was and called out. As you can see, I'm not, I'm not a veteran of that space, but I, I really find it funny that we can be put off by how our peers react. And many of the people that I've got to interview over the last three years, they've eventually got to a point where they've been able to get past that and refuse the rejection. And even now you're saying like, you, there's an element of like, you want to be deemed to be statusful. And I've, I've hosted a gentleman called Will Store on the podcast who wrote the yep. status game. And that, that really helped me understand that pretty much regardless of what industry or what sector you're in, we're all playing within some sort of hierarchy to get a better score. And nowadays, one of the funny things is he was talking about the number of people that are like playing with status games of virtue so even though people are trying to like withdraw and be like i'm above the status game they're not because they're still trying to be like more virtuous than the next virtuous person and it's really funny how much a role our programming from staying alive on the on the desert or on the sahara wherever we were back in the day coming out of africa we are still largely the same when it comes to wanting to not be rejected and being rejected is people making fun of the YouTube videos you're making. So you deleted the channels. Yeah, man. I think I am a big believer that pretty much everything comes down to either survival or status and technically status could contribute to survival. But I'm a big believer that especially as men, I think everything is status now, because I think that you can either go two ways with that. You can either let that absolutely ruin your life because you're not at the status you want, or you can see it as an opportunity to sort of progress and be like, okay, I'm not at the status I want to be. I'm going to improve my status by improving myself. And therefore you can sort of channel it into something positive rather than letting it sort of cripple you and control you and make you into some sort of tyrant. Absolutely. When did you start to channel it positively then Ross? What was the turning point? So I probably two major turning points here. The first one was when I started working out. So I started working out when I was 16, 17, I started competing in Olympic weightlifting. 
So I can, that's a sport where you do a snatch and a clean and jerk. So I competed at a relatively high level in that. I won a British championship, a few Irish championships and held a few records. So that there, you know yourself, you get into the gym and like you build discipline, you build a love for delayed gratification, you build consistency. And then if you have the right vehicle or opportunity in front of you, you can channel those skills that you've already built into that. So that was the main thing that I was doing. That was like the entry point to my self-improvement journey. It was the only thing I did, like even nutrition wise, because I was in a strength sport, it wasn't as important as, you know, because didn't have to stay super lean or anything. So I was just, and I was young. So I was just training pretty much. That was the only thing I was doing until probably, I want to say it was actually around when I started creating content. So I started creating content. Uh, I was around just, just turned 19 pretty much, but I started creating content because I was broke. I was at university in York, which is quite expensive. So I was broke as anything. So I was like, I need to make money. I'm going to try to find ways to make money online. And eventually I end up stumbling across, you know, the finance books like uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I, this, the other self-improvement books like Atomic Habits, all the, you know, the classic ones. So I ran into them and that's pretty much how that started my self-improvement journey, the sort of 2.0 version. It doesn't surprise me at all that fitness was that gateway drug. I've spoken about it so many times. I think I've got a couple of podcasts in the archive that are titled somewhat around that in terms of with different guests or different roundtable conversations I've done with some of the guys that are regular guests. And for so many people, that ability to control what your body can do through the reps, through the times you show up, through showing discipline when it's hard, when you're tired after school or after university or after whatever's going on and you still turn up and then of course you're able to lift heavier or perform the movement with better form the next time and it feels fantastic and it's that positive feedback loop that we're craving. It's not validation but Mm -hmm. it's like confirming that you're on the right path and it's a really exciting feeling and there's an element of empowerment to it and nowadays like empowerment online is just this meme of like a girl being like oh I'm a boss bitch but empowerment for a lot of the kind of people that would listen to this podcast is like knowing that their actions can shape their future and like knowing that their habits in whatever time we release this November, 2023 becomes who you become by November, 2024. And that is like such an empowering feeling that you're able to shape that moving forward. And I think when you combine that with some of the sources that you were listening to and reading and, and, and then probably sharing content and lessons from off the back of it on your page, it's such a great journey to go on in terms of discovering that you are quite often the architect of the future, Ross. Yeah, man, I think everything, like, it's it's almost became, become cliche about how powerful your habits are, but it is literally everything. Your habits are everything. I put out a tweet yesterday where it's like, all you have to do is do five small habits every day and they'll create massive results in the next year. But the problem is, I think of habits and sort of trying to take control of your own future and realizing you are the architect is that a lot of people go down this route of thinking, right, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up at 4am and I'm going to run a marathon. They're trying to be like David Goggins sort of stuff. And then they end up, they don't do it. Okay. Cause that's like a really impossible, hard task if you've never done anything close to it. So what happens then is they actually ruin their level of self-respect because they've told themselves they're going to keep a promise. They're going to do this. They don't do it. Their self-respect drops. The next time they tell themselves they're going to do something, because they have lower self-respect, they're way less likely to do it. So I think the main thing with habits is you have to build small or start small, build over time and optimize over time. Rather than trying to like change your life tomorrow, you understand that it's going to take time. You're trying to change it one day at a time, one tiny bit. That way, if you start small, you know, if you want to get up earlier, instead of trying to wake up at uh, from 8 a.m. and wake up tomorrow at 6, 
wake up tomorrow at 7.45. Do that for a week, then wake up at 7.30. And what you're doing there is you're doing the opposite. You're having a positive feedback loop. Every time you wake up 15 minutes earlier, you realize, I just told myself I'm going to do that. I did it. You can be proud of yourself. You have a bit of evidence that you can stack and you have more self-respect, which means as you increase your self-respect levels, you can actually do bigger and better things because you have more self-respect and you're more likely to keep the promises to yourself. It's another thing. I'm a massive fan of momentum in every single area. So it's like you don't have to always go balls to the walls and go 100% and go all out, but always just do something. You know, if like if you life likes to throw haymakers it likes to just throw things at you and it'll mess up your day if you have a family and kids and you want to get to the gym but all of a sudden there's a haymaker that's thrown into your day and it completely ruins your schedule do 100 push-ups it's it mightn't be as good as a full-on push session in the gym but it's better than nothing and you're keeping the momentum and you're keeping the promise you made to yourself it's building trust as well. I think I think respect, trust, evidence, all these things linked together. And you can see exactly why you're starting to build that momentum because as you prove these things to yourself over time, then of course you can dial up that. So it can be the 15 minutes earlier in the day. Now it's half an hour. Six weeks ago, you were lying in your bed till nine o'clock scrolling TikTok and then rolled out of bed and logged on for working from home. No wonder you felt like crap. Whereas now you're getting up at seven o'clock, you're going for a walk, you're getting sunlight, you're doing some of these things that traditionally as a morning routine we know are typically good for you. And there's so much to that because over time you started to scale up. And like you say, so many people try to walk before they can run. Sorry, run before they can walk. And no wonder they get discouraged because if you can't prove it to yourself, like you say, your identity is like, I'm somebody that can't keep promises to myself. When it comes to self-mastery, Ross, I know that you've broken it down into kind of three key areas. What are those? So first area is mastery of your mind. Second is mastery of your actions. And the third is mastery of your craft. A lot of people, like they hear the first two and they're like, okay, that makes sense. Mastery of your craft often gets people. The reason I have included that in my philosophy of self-mastery is because I'm a massive proponent of sort of finding your life's work, finding your life's mission. And I think your craft has to be a massive, massive proponent of that. If you want to master yourself, you have to have control over what you're doing, sort of the craft you're working on and what you're dedicating your time to. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like negative pushback when people define themselves by their job or their business. But if you're spending a lot of time doing something, it is important that you get some sort of positive feedback loop from that. And that's why when people ask me about like corporate careers or jobs or whatever, I'm thinking like, like you can find fulfillment in those areas, but you need to work really hard to find that particular niche. And I've worked across several different industries in the in the in the last kind of eight or nine years. And for me, you can absolutely get that fulfillment, but you have to be quite ruthless in terms of how you find it and move from one thing to the next. And then when you do find it, it gives you a really positive feedback loop. And you should with pride be able to say, This is my craft, this is the area that I built that I'm good at. And it's not necessarily like, oh, you can only ever introduce yourself as like uh, Ross, it's really difficult for you, but you're, like, you're probably a content creator slash a self mastery coach or self mastery guide. And that's great because what you do is you spend a lot of time reinforcing that identity positively over and over and over again. And that's not to say that there's not other layers to you in terms of things that you're passionate about or care about or want to talk about. But as your craft, of course, you should have a willingness to attach yourself to it in some way or some shape or form. 100%. It's like, it's why I've sort of went down the content creator route and it's why, like, don't get me wrong, it's not the initial reason I've started, but it was the, it's the, one of the main driver as to why I keep doing it and as to why I love it is because it's just a reflection of you. 
you can pivot and go down any route you want. So if you're not happy with sort of the way your brand is, because a lot of people start a personal brand and then they attach themselves to the ideas that they're creating around. It's like, if you don't like that, you can change it. And I think also it's another point here is that like, if you can understand that you can change what you identify with in this one area of say your personal brand, you can do that with every single area of your life. You know, I think often you just need, again, it's sort of a bit like momentum. You just need that one sort of domino to fall for you to realize you can do this in any way. You know, you can make a change in any way of your life. You can build and improve and progress. And if you're not happy with something, change it. You know, and again, it goes back to what we said at the start. It's, I think one of the major problems is that people don't know what they want. They don't, so they end up getting stuck in a career that they might or might not find fulfillment in, but they end up associating themselves with that career because all they've done in their life is go down that route because they don't know what they want. If they had a sat down and figured out, okay, I want to go and be an investment banker, but I also want to do this in my life. And then they could also pursue, pursue that on the side and they wouldn't just identify with being that career, that job. That's so true because quite often people stumble into that in the same way you were talking about 16, you're, you're applying to go and do sports and exercise at, at different universities. You could have quite easily just carried on down the train track towards being a PE teacher or being a uh, maybe a sports scientist at a, a, a football club or a rugby club or, 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 in a, or in a weightlifting sport. And that might have been fine up to a point, but until you step back, do some sort of written work, do some self-exploration about, is this what I actually really want? Like, what do you want to want is such an important question, but also what do you not want? And that was something that I recently hosted a, a mental performance coach called uh, Lauren Johnson on the show, and she worked with the New York Yankees for several years before she now does some consultant stuff she did. And she was so funny. She was like, so many people can, and, and you're one in number of people that can't do this, but she was like, some people, if you ask them, they're more able to tell them what they want than what they don't want. And she was like, sometimes if somebody's struggling to like map these things out like write down like i do not want to work nine till five in the middle of the city when it's really loud or maybe you do maybe that's what you do want because you can socialize afterwards whatever it is but you need to be really clear on like i'm trying to run away from this and i'm trying to run towards this it's like a nice thing to pair together and there's that whole kind of almost over repeated jordan peterson example when he's talking about the rats in the mm -hmm. in the study where they're where they're, they're held by their tail and they waft in the smell of cheese in front of them and they see how hard they pull but then of course the second time the rats are put in they have the cheese in front of them and the smell of the cat behind them. And of course they pull harder because they're running away from something and are running towards something. And there's a lot to be said for that because once you can create that dynamic, you're probably going to get towards whatever is your utopia or your dream life, which I'm sure some of the terms that you use can get towards. Yeah, man, it's, it's all the motivation you need. You know, obviously you don't want to hundred percent rely on motivation, but that is all the motivation you need. Obviously you can go, the thing is too, right? I do, I talk about this quite a lot in this. I have a process called life tapping and conscious alignment that I talk about. And life tapping is pretty much figuring out your dream life, your utopia and your nether, which is like your hell, the opposite, what you don't want. But if you can figure out them in detail, like excruciating detail, you need to sit down, you need to have a clear calendar and be willing to sit with a pen and paper. I don't recommend typing it. I'm a big believer. And if you're doing any sort of journaling exercise, have pen and paper, let your mind and hand become one with the paper and just sort of flow it out about what you want, what you don't want. And in that you will figure out the deeper whys. You know, everyone talks about if you're setting a goal, you need to figure out the why for that goal, you know, and for some people that might be, you know, provide for their family, provide for their future family, whatever it is, that's a classic example. But if you figure out your dream life, you'll also figure that out. 
and you'll figure out that why. So having what you want and what you don't want is every bit of motivation you need because if you do it right, you're covering every single aspect of your life that's important to you. I wrote down that life tapping piece from from one of your articles in the, on, your, on, your, on your website and I was so keen for people to consider doing that because like you say, if you didn't have a destination in mind when you get in the car, you could end up wherever. It's the same with life. You can end up absolutely all over the place because you've just decided to follow a path that you're not quite sure on. Whereas when you do step back, it's a lot easier to feel. And that second piece was like conscious alignment, wasn't it? Where like you can feel consciously aligned if you kind of have a rough idea. And like, how, how would you recommend, like in terms of like pen and paper, walking everything out, that's your life tapping exercise. What, what's the kind of process for, for conscious alignment? How do you recommend people find that? So... First off, to do conscious alignment correctly and to do it effectively, you need to do that life tapping process where you figure out what you want, what you don't want. My theory here, and I've practiced this myself and a couple of people I've recommended it to, and they love it, right? So when you are going to make a decision, when you're going to take an action, when you're going to do anything, you pretty much consult yourself and be like, okay, is this aligned with my dream life? Is this going to push me towards that? So, you know, a super easy, super simple example is if you go downstairs into the kitchen and there's a cookie sitting there and you're trying to cut and you're trying to lose weight, cookies, it's sitting there, it's tasty, it's tempting you, it's calling you and you're like, but then you call yourself and you're like, right, okay, does this push me towards my dream life or my hell life? It's obviously going to push you towards your hell life so you don't do it. But if you went down, you know, and you're, you're let's say the example of going to the gym. You don't want to go to the gym. It's quite common. You don't want to go to the gym. It's hard. It's strenuous. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. You're going to be tired after it. it. It's a lot of work. But you ask yourself, okay, is this going to push me towards my dream life? Or is this going to push me towards my hell life? Dream life. Okay, let's do it. And because you have done the life tapping process correctly and you have a deeper level of meaning and why, you understand that by doing the this conscious alignment and doing what pushes you towards your dream life, and not doing what moves you towards your hell life. You're going to move towards that dream life by following those actions and being consciously aligned. I like any framework that allows you to make conscious decisions because I like you you were you were saying about the number of people that are just coasting. I say this all the time in the podcast and people shake their heads when they hear this sometimes because I say it so often, but like so many people are on autopilot and they don't even think that like going home after like they'll be like oh i don't really have any habits and i'm like okay well what do you do most nights after work oh i watch netflix and they couldn't tell you what they watched because it's just a case of like they just put it on and they eat their dinner in front of it they, they couldn't tell you the storyline unless you really really pushed on it or you could be like what did you watch three weeks ago no idea okay well you have habits because you're on autopilot and you're just doing the same thing over and over again in the same way like you, like I couldn't tell you what I did on my session three weeks ago. Like what three, three Wednesday call, three Wednesday call. And what, what did you train? Roughly, it's probably going to be push or pull just yeah, based yeah. on it's that day of the week, and I'm likely to be doing that. But I couldn't tell you exactly what it was like, and that's there's an element of like um, shame about that because it means that time can can really. Um, bunched together and you don't have enough novelty but i'm creating novelty in other ways i can be like oh well three weeks ago i i interviewed ross hartness or the week before that i interviewed warren johnson whoever it was that's really healthy but so many people are like oh no i don't really have habits or routines and you're like i bet i could tell you what you're doing most days of the week just based on how you how you typically behave yeah man life is short but it is long you know it's one of them things that like you think it's so long and then you look back because think about you know um what you did a year ago if you, you got a facebook memory or something about what you were doing a year ago you'd be like that's a year ago 
that feels like it was last week or two months ago or whatever. So it's yeah, and people waste so much time. Like I'm not anti Netflix. I'm not anti any of this. And again, it's not. I'm not anti jobs. I'm not anti university. What I am anti is not doing what you want to do on purpose. You know, see this here, mindless. I am so anti just mindlessly going through life. It's such a way to waste life because you'll wake up someday on your bloody deathbed and you'll be like. I've just wasted my entire life. I did not like my greatest fear is waking on my deathbed and seeing who I could have been. It is just terrifies me. So it's why I do pretty much everything, you know? So it's like a lot of people are going to be in that situation because they're going through life mindlessly, but all it takes. And it, you know, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the small steps when you're building stuff, you don't have to, I think a lot of people, a lot of people don't make a change and don't start consciously living life because they think it's going to be so hard because the thing, the problem with the first step of anything is that it's both the hardest and the easiest step, but you never realize how easy it is until you take it. You know, the friction to starting anything is so hard, but once you get the ball rolling, it's easy. So you have to start small with everything. I think this is one of the main reasons people don't is because they think I have to change my life tomorrow because it's also I think goes back to status again because if you decide you want to start going to the gym you don't want to go into the gym and be benching the bar you want to have three plates on there you know you don't want to be you don't want to feel a fool exactly man you don't you don't want to just you don't want to be the lowest in the pack in anywhere you go and that's why people don't start because they know subconsciously they know that if they if you start anything you're going to be crap you have to earn the right to be good you have to earn it through putting in the reps. So they don't start because they don't want to be crap and because they think it's going to take so much effort when realistically, you can get pretty good at anything in 20 hours. You know, obviously the likes of the, the gym or something, it's slightly different. You're not, you're likely not going to be benching a hundred for reps in 20 hours, but still for most things, you're going to be pretty good in 20 hours. It's not that much. If you did one hour a day for 20 days, you're going to have made a massive change, a massive difference noticeable like the newbie gains and everything when it comes to weightlifting of course but in, in everything are pretty significant because those are the times that most people have fallen off by that point and you've created some sort of momentum which is the m-word that you've been using so far but one of the other things that i know that you talk about that definitely holds people back from pursuing what they want is limiting beliefs what are some of those limiting beliefs that you think commonly show up for people i think a massive one is scarcity especially in the UK, but I think it's it's likely worldwide too. Scarcity is massive. This idea of, you know, you get a bit of money, you have to save it. You can't spend it. You can't invest it. You, you need to keep that safe. You know, you don't know when you're going to get the next, that's going to happen again. You don't know if it, if it is going to happen again. So you end up like you never invest in yourself. You never improve your skill. You never improve your earning capacity. So I think scarcity is, in my opinion, probably the biggest mindset uh, limiting belief. Sorry, because if you if you have an abundance mindset, the opposite of a scarcity mindset, it applies to everything in life and it's going to positively benefit every single area of your life. You're going to realize, okay, let's take a relationship example. If you have a scarcity uh, scarcity mindset in a relationship and you break up, you're going to be like, oh no, the world's ending. But if you have an abundance mindset, you realize, okay, there's other girls out there. There's other boys out there, whatever. So you're going to be, okay, it's going to help you improve over it. It's going to help you get back out there. And same with money. If you invest all your money in, I don't know, GameStop or something when it was at its peak and you came down again a couple of years ago and you lost every penny you had. If you had a scare, obviously, no matter what mindset you have, that's a pretty bad situation. But if you have a scarcity mindset, it could ruin your life. 
because you think you'll never get out of that you think you're always going to be dying at that bottom now you can't improve whereas if you have an abundance mindset you realize okay okay that's only uh it's only a, a roadblock we can get over this and we can improve and we can progress completely agree and i think abundance mindset is such a good position to come from and you mentioned relationships and dating there and some of the dating coaches that i've had on the podcast they've talked about the, how attractive it is when somebody comes with an abundance mindset and even if you're within a relationship if you're acting from a place of scarcity you're perhaps a bit more clingy you're a bit more unpleasant to be around and that's not the energy that anyone wants to enjoy of course they want to feel like you're the only person for them and you're 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 really interested and invested in them but if you're like clinging to this then like oh don't go don't go to this event or don't go to that event because i don't want you being seen by other other men or don't want you exposed to that that's a really unhealthy dynamic to create in any regard whereas if you're quite like abundant and you both like oh look we've chosen each other because we're right for each other and we've got these similarities knee character traits and these these dynamics which are really healthy it's a much nicer position to be in and i love that yeah. you brought money up as well because so often it comes back to that and so many people are worried about will i ever be able to get a return on this investment will i be able to earn this much money again and it, while I, I think there's elements of the current generation that you and i are probably s slightly similar within that maybe just spend everything they've got straight away they don't have emergency funds they don't have like a good investment strategy and such and such but the type of people that listen to the self-development podcast there are sometimes we're like we're a little bit scarce about oh well if 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 I, if I if i can't generate this money again i need to smash through that to be open-minded to be like okay well if this venture goes wrong then don't worry about it i can make more money again and reinvest it back in again whether it's somebody that's trying to launch a side hustle off the back of a career build that fund that allows you to go and do it and if it fails great go back you've got the skill set to go back into work earn that money again and then give yourself another chance yeah i think that's a, that's a perfect example of another scarcity mindset though is that like people don't like taking that risk of for example leaving their job to go all in on a side hustle or a business that could be doing relatively well because they have this scarcity mindset that if they leave the job for some reason they can't go back and get another job in the same field even though they'll have another year or two years experience in running their own thing so they'll build so many more skills but I, I had a thought that I actually think a lot of the scarcity mindset probably comes down to an insecurity. You don't believe that you, you don't believe you have the skills and you don't have the confidence and the self-respect in yourself that you have the ability to crawl back out of that. Whereas if you have an abundance mindset, you sort of, you, you don't have that insecurity. You believe, okay, I can go out there and I can, I've done this once. I earned that money once. I can do it again. It's proving it to yourself again like that that evidence term that you were talking about earlier in terms of giving yourself self self-respect and trust like there's so much to be said for just proving it to yourself once and knowing that you can apply it in the same framework and that for me has been the big thing about fitness when i realized that i could control how i looked and how i felt i was like oh well i can apply this in my sales career okay i can apply it into my university degree okay i can apply it into the podcast because largely the effort you put in will at some point be recognized because like like somebody could give the like one lesson that's listened to this who's never trained before they could give them your like um, um like olympic lifting skills and like the numbers tomorrow but they wouldn't be able to keep it because they would have no idea how it happened they could give them like my physique like tomorrow but they would have no idea how to maintain it or how to look after it because they haven't earned it and they wouldn't have a level of self-respect and trust that they could maintain it or even improve on it because of course they haven't because they haven't done the work initially to justify the mindset they would be coming from a place of delusion rather than evidence-based and i think that's what so many people are are lacking as well one of the terms you used earlier ross was was ego 
And I know that you actually have a, almost a positive expression of ego, whereas I guess when somebody says that word, there's sometimes some negative connotations that come with it. Yeah, in my opinion, ego, it all depends on how you use it. A lot of people use their ego to be a dickhead. They use it to belittle other people and to put themselves above other above other people. That's not how I view ego and how it should be used. I believe ego is just a way of holding yourself to a standard. You can, you know, if you have an ego, you can tell yourself, like, I have an ego and I can say, okay, I'm not skipping the gym today because I have an ego. I'm not, I'm not going to let myself skip the gym because the way I see it is if I skip the gym and everybody else's, most people are going, not going to go to the gym today. So if I skip the gym, I'm just as bad as them. You know, so in that way, you know, I'm using that my ego positively. I think the main thing with ego is just to never use it to be a dickhead or to be bad to anybody, to be rude, to be mean. Use it to hold yourself to a standard and like set that standard. And I think ego is a very, com I, I don't believe that it is as bad as people say. I think it's all down to the person using it. Yeah, I certainly think so. And I think egos can run away and become out of hand. But when you're using it as a positive expression of forcing you to do the habits which create the identity which you're aiming towards, then the ego is like a, it's an extra thing that's kind of pulling you towards that. And it's saying, yep, yeah, like if you talk about yourself in the third person, people think you're fucking crazy. But if I look at my journal entries, I'm talking about being a winner being a, a force for good, being a rising tide for the other ships, whether that's in my corporate career, or whether that's when in, in creating this kind of content for self-development. Like, I think that's a really positive thing. Whereas some people would be like, oh, that's so brash. That's so like self-entitled and delusional. And I'm like, well, if I keep proving it to myself with everything that I'm doing and continuing to be a positive force for myself and those around me, then it's not delusion. It's actually factual. And as long as I act in alignment with that and I wasn't like some sort of like, um, one of the terms we've got in Glasgow Ross movie, you've got it in Northern Ireland, would be like all fur coat, no knickers. So like somebody <laughs> yeah. is just like, uh, like yeah. they've just got this like mad exterior and like everyone's like, oh my God, they're doing so well. Like I think you were speaking the other day about like flash cars and flash watches and, and people kind of not really living in alignment with what's achieved that. And I recently spoke to George Armstrong and he was saying the number of people that he's got to know within the fitness industry that he's been like surprised at actually how broke they are behind the mm -hmm. scenes when they're actually flexing on Insta yeah. and stuff like that. It's it, 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 it's massive. But for me, if I can keep in alignment with who I say I am and what my activities do, then I'm going to feel pretty good about myself. And if my ego pushes me to do that, then at least I'm using it as a force for good. Yeah, I also, I do, I think it, again, I'm going to bring it back to what do you want? Because if you don't know what you want and you have an ego, you're going to be running wild of it. But if you know that, okay, for example, you, you want to lift other people up with this podcast, you want to help people who are listening to this. And if your ego lets you do that, what is the problem there? That is such a good thing. It's all down to, again, figuring out what you want and then using whatever you have to get there. And, you know, see if that's a positive and it helps other people. There's absolutely no reason for people to complain. But again, I think the reason, especially in the UK, why a lot of people complain is that scarcity mindset. They see you succeeding. They see you talking about yourself in the third person saying you're a winner and all. And they know it's fucking true but they're not talking to themselves about that like that. They don't have the confidence. They don't have the evidence to back it up. So therefore they're trying to put you down to make themselves feel better. 
Something I found remarkably interesting in the last few months as the show's grown and some of the short form clips have reached parts of the internet that it wasn't maybe intended for mm. has been the backlash that you get for talking about self-improvement. And it's funny because I'm not necessarily clipping up stuff that I think is controversial. Like I've never really optimized for that because I don't think you then get the certain type of listener that mm. would listen to an hour, an hour and a half conversation with gentlemen like ourselves. But if I post something that's like, yeah, like I've, I feel so much better when I've I've trained, I've eaten well, and I've lived in alignment with who I am, and people are losing their minds in the comments, being like, "That's such a toxic mindset." Why? Like, it's fine for you to have a rest. What is wrong with you? Why are you inspiring people to to look after their mind, their body? And I think I did a clip on like three ways to progress in your corporate career. Number two was like looking after yourself physically and mentally. And I show up, and I'm extremely level within work i just like you can consistently count on me to do regularly like the same number of sales meetings same number of calls same number of proposals obviously i'll have like up weeks where like a higher percentage of deals come through or weeks when maybe some of my proposals went wrong and i didn't quite land it right and i'll, I'll learn and i'll improve but you can kind of consistently count on me and like that's because i'm feeling good i'm training well i'm sleeping well i'm eating well i'm doing all these things and i'm doing things that i enjoy if I wasn't doing things I was enjoying, then I wouldn't find like I was able to perform at that level. And people were like offended by the fact that I was saying that being in good physical and mental shape was like a factor in my performance within my career. And I find it remarkable when you reach that wrong side of the internet who don't believe in that sort of thing and they find that like a personal attack. I think as you said, it's like you've almost shone like a torchlight into their face and it's brought into sharp reality how they're behaving is out of alignment with who they maybe would like to be. And even if they don't want to be as extreme as somebody like you or I, that's talking about these things. And, and I appreciate I'm, I'm, we're definitely not the average person. They could still be closer to that and they would probably be happier. Man, you have such a good point there. Like a hundred percent. I think that's massively the issue that a lot of people have with self-improvement content is that it, it just shines a light in what they're doing I want to say, I'm going to say wrong, but I don't know if that's necessarily the right word, what they're not doing. It shines the light on what they're not doing. But I think one of the main problems I've experienced when my content reaches that side of the internet that it's not meant for is a lot of people aren't, I think it comes down to a lack of self-awareness and that a lot of people aren't able to take the, say the advice that I'm giving them and apply it to their situation. Because I will, you know, I'll say, the best way to start your day is to get up at 6am and smash your most important task before everybody else wakes up. That's a classic of mine. I love like reiterating that message. And every time I post it, there's always somebody who says, this guy clearly doesn't have kids. How are we meant to do this with kids? And it's like, my man, take the message and apply it to your own context. Okay. Be aware enough to not just like, I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm posting content. If you want to take that as advice and take that as, you know, Ross is telling me exactly how to do that. That's up to you. But you should be self-aware enough. And this goes to everybody in every context. You should be self-aware enough to take advice and apply it to your situation. You know, if you take a course, not everything in that course is going to be applicable to you, no matter what the course is, right? It's not going to be applicable. You have to take 90% of it will be completely applicable that you just take, but there will be 10%, 20% that you have to take and be like, okay, is that how I want to do this? Is this the way I want to do it? I don't want to. I don't want to do it in this order. I want to do it in that order. So I think it's just a lot of it is a lack of self awareness and the ability to apply things to their situation. Yeah, I, I I'm completely on board with that, and I think 
people who can develop self-awareness, it becomes a real superpower. Because as we were talking about earlier about the kind of business that you've decided to spend your time in and the, the understanding what you want, that's such a powerful tool to live in alignment and you feel so much happier. One of the first pieces of content that I became aware of you 18 months ago was around productivity. And I know you've pivoted a little bit and it's now less of a, a main pillar for you, but it's still something you talk about. What do you think are some of the big factors that allow you to get quite so much done? And this is a common question I get as well, Ross, because of the, the different things that I'm juggling. I used to, so I'll take it back a wee bit here. I used to, when I started creating content, I was like in the productivity space. I was like all into it, you know, and I've sort of drifted away from it because I realized a lot of it's pretty, I, I don't want to say scam because it's not the right word, but a lot of it is useless advice because the only thing that helps you do the work is doing the work. So for me, what helps me get so much done and so much done in such little time is I remove distractions. Everybody knows this. Nobody does it. Nobody does it. When you're sitting down to work, you need to remove distractions. You need to turn off your phone. My phone's not in this room. I'm, I'm and all I'm doing is taking a call. I'm doing this podcast of you. My phone's not here, you know, because it's a distraction. Your mind is, you're, everybody is so addicted. Even if you don't spend much time in your phone, everybody's so addicted to it that your mind is constantly looking for the first excuse to grab it. So you need that phone out of the way. The other thing I do is, you, well, the other thing everybody needs to do is figure out what is essential. So what is your goal? What are the exact tasks that are going to move the needle for you moving towards that goal? Because, you know, the classic example is somebody's trying to start a business and they spend two weeks making a website. You know, a website's great to have for your business, but is that making money? No, what you need to be doing is getting leads, however you're getting your leads, or maybe you're not even at that stage. Maybe you need to craft your offer. You need to do what's moving the needle and what's essential, not the nice to haves, because, you know, realistically, there are businesses out there that make tons of money and don't have a website. You don't need that. You need to focus on what's essential. So once you know what's essential, I like to plan them into my day. I plan every hour of my day. It's not for everybody, but I'll tell you this, even if you don't enjoy it, you will get a lot more done than if you're not planning your day. So you need to, the thing I always say is I always say to plan your day every hour of your day for one or two weeks. That way you just get to understand how you're spending your time and then you can make adjustments and plan your day however you like. The main thing is that you plan it though. You need to have a schedule because when you make decisions, decisions take tons of time and energy. So if you're sitting down and you're like, right, okay, what task am I going to do first? The likelihood is you're going to take the path of least resistance, which is what every single person is hardwired to do. So you're going to choose the task that is not essential. You're going to be working on the website rather than sending the cold emails. So you need to figure out what's essential. You need to plan your day. Again, I recommend every hour, but that's up to each person's own discretion. And then when it comes to the schedule, sit down and get it done. Just sit down at that time. There are a couple of techniques I like to use. Well, there's one main technique I like to use to actually help you sit down to do the work. It's called, I call it the Jerry Seinfeld, Seinfeld process. I don't know um, if anybody else calls it this, but I got it from him. Basically, he had a writing process where when he was sitting down to write, he could only sit down to write. He could either sit down at the desk and write or he could stare at a wall. He couldn't do anything else. So if he had one hour blocked out, he either writ or he stared at a wall. I've applied the same process. So it's like, if at 7 a.m. I've scheduled to do a task, I sit down and I can either do the task or I stare at a wall. I can't scroll my phone. I can't talk to anybody. I can't read a book. I can't do anything else. The beauty about this is that doing nothing and staring at the wall is a valid option. You're allowed to do that and you shouldn't punish yourself for doing it. 
but it gets you sitting down. And I promise you this, if you sit down for five minutes and you start a wall, you're going to start working. So there, there might you be- You want to escape that. It's discomfort. Yeah, I, I, I love all of those things. And much of it links into what I talked about with Nirial a couple of years ago. He came on the podcast and talked about being indistractable. And the fact that you've actually created a situation where you've time boxed out your diary hour by hour, but when you found that I'm finding it uncomfortable getting started in this task, guess what's more uncomfortable than that? Staring at a wall in boredom. So you want to escape that discomfort. And the only option which you've agreed with yourself, which is a very important thing, like you've decided this is the thing, I'm going to sit and do the task. And it's better than staring at the wall. But it's not a case of, I'm not going to do the task. I'm going to scroll my phone. I'm going to do something that's gratifying. I'm going to do something that feels like busy work. I think it's so important. And you gave a really, really good example when you spoke to my friend Darren Lee on kickoff sessions. And you were talking about like, what like the essential things are and move things forward and you're the example there you were given about building the website or maybe like choosing the logo is like such a common thing that people get stuck within cold email is like a massive thing for anything that i've ever done whether it's been my sales career or whether it's been building out the podcast and the different guests that i've had on it is by far the most difficult task because you have to be creative and innovative to stand out in busy inboxes and when you're sitting in it, of course, when you get to email four or five out of the 10 or the 12 or the 15 that you've promised you to doing, of course, you're going to be like, oh, well, what happens if somebody's replied to the first three that I've sent? Maybe I'll go and check that. Or maybe I'll go and check like, like what time such and such is, is, is going to be free for the gym later. And you're thinking that's not what the task that you agreed to do that is happening right now. So you need to sit in that discomfort and just agree to push on through. And I love that you've used the word momentum throughout this throughout this episode and conversation, Ross, because for me, it is so much a momentum thing. And I sometimes find that if you push through that little bit of inertia at maybe, let's say, halfway through the task, the rest of it is like running downhill or like skating downhill, whatever analogy you want to use. Yeah, man. Well, you, if you also, if you look at it from the science aspect of flow and focus, right? So whenever you sit down to do any important task, you obviously want to be focused and enter flow. So obviously to do that, you need to have one thing to focus on one task. You also need to remove distractions. So get your phone out, you know, have one tab open on your laptop, whatever you want to do. But the other thing about entering, especially flow, right? So it takes about 25 minutes, well, 15 to 30 minutes to enter flow and focus, but normally around 25 minutes. That first 25 minutes is super uncomfortable. It's all that's happening is your body, all these hormones and all these neurotransmitters are spiking. And it's like, basically in the first 20 minutes before you enter deep focus and flow, your adrenaline and norepinephrine systems, which is like the adrenaline in your brain are sky high. So you feel uncomfortable. You feel agitated. You don't want to be there. You want to, your body's like, and sort of in that fight and fight, fight or flight response where it's like, it's trying to get out, but you have to keep pushing through that. And if you push through it, you enter this flow and focus and you get into a rhythm of it and you're like, okay, this isn't too bad. Another side tangent to that is I think that's so important. If we go to the macro, right, the, the tasks are the micro and sitting down to do the task is the micro. But if you take it back to the macro of the goal that you're working towards, I think it's so, again, why it's so important to know your dream life, know what you want, because then you can set a goal that's actually meaningful. Like, why are you working on that goal? Because if that goal isn't meaningful, sitting down to, I don't know, create the content, send the cold emails, whatever the task is, is going to be so much harder than if that task is meaningful because if that task is meaningful you sit down and let's say you decide to, okay five minutes i'm going to stare at a wall i don't want to work i'm going to stare at a wall if that task is meaningful 
you'll actually start thinking about the task in that five minutes and you'll be like, okay, the task is meaningful. If I don't do the task, I don't achieve the goal. Therefore, I don't achieve the dream life. So I need to do the task. So you'll sit down and do it. There's a lot to be said for when you withdraw stimulus as well. So when you are staring at a wall, you probably find that you're considerably more creative. Like so many people come up with their best ideas in the shower. I come up with loads of ideas when I'm on a walk, mm -hmm. particularly if I sometimes unplug. And this was something I learned from, from Sahil Bloom who I had in the show this time last year. If like, and I previously was somebody who was like always wanting to fill my time with like a podcast or something that was helping me level up. But sometimes I now just go a really, really short walk with a notebook and a pen and I just do the same little lap. And from like an anal tracking steps perspective, I know it's like yeah. one and a half K or two K steps or whatever. And that's cool. That's cool. If it, that ticks a box for you, but many people won't be in that, in that kind of troubled camp that I am. But I know that if I, if I do that walk, that's what it is. And sometimes I'll come back and I'll have written like, I want to ask Ross these three questions or I want to approach this guest because I saw them on a YouTube video that I totally forgot about, but I brought their name back up to my conscious or I know in my presentation tomorrow and work, I'm going to close it with these three bullet points or I'm going to ask this question on this cold call, whatever it is. Yeah. And when you remove the stimulus, so much comes forward that you've been drowning out. And sometimes what you've been drowning out is, is with good stuff. It's been with a podcast like this one, which I hope you're all going to listen to lots, but sometimes deep like unplugging and withdrawing is when the best stuff comes to the fore the stuff that you've been learning i'm a i'm a massive proponent it's one of the things i've really leaned into in probably the past year is working less you know i used to be the whole like you know the same as you fill every hour 16 hour day had to had to be working from the moment i woke up i had to be working the only break i would get is when i'm eating and when i'm in the gym otherwise i'm working but i started working less and i got better results you know, especially if you're in like, because I'm in the content creation space, it's all creativity. And with creativity, you don't get ideas sitting behind the screen. You get ideas from giving your mind time to relax and time to think. So I actually, I have a couple of rules for high, high quality ideas, right? So the first rule is high quality content consumption, because to get input, to get, to get output, you need input. So good input equals good output. The second one is stretching and challenging of the mind. So that's the likes of the gym where you're pushing yourself because I have the luxury of having a home gym, so I don't have to have AirPods in. I have a speaker and I just blast the speaker. And I've really find that if I have AirPods in when I train, my brain is sort of listening to the music. Like it's all the, that I'm focusing on. Whereas if I have it on a speaker, it's sort of in the background. And yes, I can zone, zone in on it to lift the weights, but I get so many ideas in the gym because I don't have headphones in. I'm challenging and stretching my mind. And then as soon as I sit down from a set, I just have an idea. You know, then the third one is giving it space to think. So going on walks in silence, meditation, all the rest, all like see silence for ideas. It's everything. I think it's absolutely crucial. Like I've started, I'm cutting right now. So I'm doing about 15,000 steps at the minute because I don't want to drop my calories any lower. So I started, um, I've always been an early riser, but I started getting up at 5am to do 10,000 steps straight away. And I, so I have two walks every day now, pretty much. I have 10,000 steps I do in the morning. I'm listening to a podcast or an audiobook, depending on what I'm doing. So therefore I'm getting that high quality content consumption. I'm coming back, doing a few hours work, what I, whatever I'm doing. Around 11 or 12, I'm hitting the gym. Therefore I'm getting challenging and stretching of the mind. And then at around normally 2 p.m., 3 p.m., I'm going on a walk in silence out into the countryside. So I'm getting all free. And it's like you said, there's there's an aspect of creativity where when you're in open spaces, your mind is more open. It's we, Whereas if you're in a constricted space, 
your mind is better for like analytical tasks. So going outside, getting on a walk, it's so many birds with one stone. I love your day design. And I guess there's people listening are like, oh, it's amazing. Ross has got this freedom, but that freedom's come from the discipline of building up the the business that you've got and the, and the platforms that you've got. And I think that's something that's really, really important. One of the things I think would be remiss not to ask you about productivity and I, I appreciate this is like the icing on the cake is maybe some of the things that you look at in terms of like caffeine or nicotine or things like that, because I think these are like nice to haves to add alongside, of course, the discipline of knowing when you're doing the task, how you're going to do it, the Jerry Seinfeld technique, which which I, I love and I'm definitely going to copy. Yeah, man, um, I'm a big fan of caffeine, especially. I love caffeine. Um, but the problem is you have to be careful that you don't start to rely on it and that you only use it as the tool. So I normally take, I'll have one or two coffees a day. It's normally, it's normally one, but it will sometimes be two. It really depends on how my work blocks are, but I will pretty much have a cup of coffee as I sit down to work. And then the other time I have like Nicorette gum or something like that too. It's not a staple that I use all the time, but it's pretty regular. Um, but yeah, they're the two sort of nootropics, I suppose, that I would use. I have used L-theanine in the past, which is an amino acid that can help you focus. I didn't really see much benefit out of it, which is why I didn't, I stopped using it. But I know a lot of people do find benefit in it. One of the main time, one of the main times I do recommend people take L-theanine is if they get anxious and jittery from caffeine. If you get anxious and jittery from caffeine, but you really like the focus aspect of it, I would highly recommend coupling your caffeine with L-theanine and that will remove the anxiety and jitters. For example, Monster Ultra has L-theanine in the can. Uh, Whereas if you maybe have some other, yeah, when you have some other energy drinks, it's just the straight caffeine and you can notice the difference sometimes in terms of like how, how, how you feel off the back of it. And yeah, I have seen that. The nicotine thing was really interesting for me because when I, I think I first heard it like advertised as a performance answer on uh, Chris Williamson's show, Modern Wisdom. And I, I, Chris has been a big supporter of the show. He was actually the first ever guest that I had on. And um, I, I was asking him, I was like, that's really unusual. You're promoting nicotine. Like, how do you, like, how, how do you feel about that? And he was like, honestly, like, it's become so popular now as a performance enhancer and rather than people like puffing cigarettes which i think everyone knows is an associated health risk with having just the nicotine as a performance enhancer is massive and then dakota when i interviewed him the other week and we started to get acquainted he was using like a nicotine spray for his writing blocks and he knows that like when a particular pair of headphones go on when he puts on a particular soundtrack and he sprays the nicotine it's go time and it's a prompt for i'm gonna start to work now yeah nicotine is a really it's like the big misconception with it is that it's bad for you simply because people associated with the likes of smoking which is bad for you but nicotine is actually pretty good for you you know it's really um neuroprotective you know it's very good for preventing alzheimer's dementia in the future it's a really good cognitive booster like you will notice it the benefits if you've never used it and you take like a piece of gum or something or you take i think it's a zins or something that's sort of popping off now if you take one of them and you go to work like first off you might not like it because it'll be it'll hit your senses like you've never experienced it's sort of very you can get not you can get nauseous if yeah it's it's very very important it's one of them things i'm very like if i try something new like if i was trying a caffeine drink i would take the highest level of caffeine sort of thing but if you're doing that if you're if you're doing that with nicotine, you can't do that. It will make you sick. So you need to start low, but you will notice amazing focus benefits from it. So yeah, it's I think having that routine too is very, very important. Mine is mine's very simple. Like I literally get a cup of coffee, look at my schedule, sit down right here and work. But 
whatever your routine is just create it and make sure you enjoy it and make sure it's like it's the only time you do that so that you can sort of subconsciously recognize when i do this it's go time it's work time nothing else matters but one of the things i'll add to that is don't overcomplicate it don't make it this big extravagant thing you know i used to have like a two-hour morning routine now my well my morning routine there until i started walking was wake up and work whereas now it's wake up walk and work but you don't don't make it overcomplicated don't make it a two-hour morning routine because you're just putting off the work i think sometimes we have to go too far to bring it to where it should be and i think so many people were taking it too far with like a gratitude journal, a grounding practice, a meditation, a walk, a cold shower, and then I start working. Whereas like for me, I know that I I like to move to make my mind feel fluid and I'll, I'll put in a good source of like a podcast or whatever, whether it's an upcoming guest I'm researching or whether it's just a show that I like and I'm interested in, I come back and I feel great. Whereas I know if I just roll out of bed in a hotel when I'm away with work and I just start working, I actually feel a bit groggy. So I'll, even if I'm away in a hotel, I know that movement for me is medicine and I just move and I come back and, I, and I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a flow state with work. Whereas it would be really easy to like build in all these different caveats and things that you need to tick off before you start working. And some of them might have a small ROI, but the biggest ROI tasks are the ones that need to stay in rather than like you say, building out this kind of flowery, extravagant yeah, man, well, process. That's another good point is that like the more you have in your routine, your morning routine especially, is the more you convince yourself you have to do before you can do anything. So whenever it's removed, it's instantly a bad day. You know, if you, for example, rely on caffeine and you wake up and you have no coffee in the house, it's instantly a bad day and you can't work. Whereas if you understand that it's just a tool and you wake up and there's no caffeine in the house, there's no coffee. Okay, it's unfortunate, but I'll just work. You're not relying on it. So it's one of them things. And again, I think your example's perfect. Like if you're away with work, you just know you have to get some movement in. Whereas if that was a hundred steps and you had to, you know, get in your cold plunge and then your sauna, and then you had to ground yourself in the sun while you sunned your balls or something, that'd be a really complicated thing to do when you're away. And you would end up being, because you're so used to it, you've convinced yourself that you need that. You've convinced yourself you need that. So therefore, you know, when you don't have it, it's a bad day. You've lost exactly that one thing i want to mention on productivity and i think we're very aligned on this is that not all screen time is created equal and i don't just mean that when it comes to different apps or things that we're plugged into because for me an hour or let's say for example 10 minutes on my fitness pal planning your meals is better than 10 minutes on tiktok that's true but i know that you have come quite strong opinions on an hour on your phone is very different from an hour on your laptop yeah why did you start to consider that well the thing but think about it this way at least me personally and most people i know they don't scroll on their laptop you the only thing you would ever really scroll on your laptop for most people is youtube you know whereas your phone how much work do you really do on your phone the only work you ever really do on your phone and it applies to very very few people is messages is maybe emails and that applies to so few people. So if your screen time is eight hours on your phone, I can guarantee you at least seven of that was wasted. But if your screen time is eight hours on your computer, I can pretty much guarantee that most of that was spent probably productively, or at least, you know, you tricked yourself into thinking it was productive and you might have just had the window open and you weren't doing anything. But, you know, it's completely different because of how we use them and how we associate them. You know, it's a lot less, you don't have that also on... If you think of how social media is designed, it's designed as a slot machine where every time you pull it down, you have the chance of getting something you like, therefore dopamine, and that's how you get addicted to it. 
you don't have that on your computer. Obviously, you have the refresh button, but it's not the same mechanism and it's nowhere near as strong. Completely agree. And it's why I use Instagram.com forward slash direct forward slash inbox for most of my DMs, particularly when it comes to like feedback on the podcast or engaging with listeners. And I think that's been a vital part of growing the really engaged audience that I've got at this stage. But there's not the temptation to swipe away to the left or the right and start watching stories because why would you, you, you just don't do that on a laptop. Nobody's watching Instagram stories on the laptop. And will make, I would say maybe like, I don't know, 0.1% of the people that use Instagram are watching stories on the laptop, but I'm replying to DMs on there because there's not the same enticement. Yes, there's the same process of me replying to things. I don't think I can voice note on the, on the laptop, although I'm sure I could get a plugin that would allow me to do it, but it's a vital tool for me being more productive and I'm still keeping on top of the things that I said I was going to. Yeah. So I find that really, really important. One of the last things I was wanting to ask you about, Ross, is I think with your personality type, you mentioned about the the temptation to work a lot and you've managed to pull that back a little bit. How do you steer clear of a potential burnout? Because I think that's something a lot of high achievers are concerned about. I have quite a, I want to say it's controversial, but I don't think it would be very controversial between the likes of us and our space. But for the average person, it's very controversial take on burnout. Burnout, it's not even a take. It's science. Burnout is nothing but the inability to manage your mental and physical states. You know, so if you are unable to manage your mental and physical states through training, good nutrition, sleep, all the right habits, you know, generally in meditation, walks, sunlight, if you're unable to manage your mental and physical states that way, you're going to burn out very, very fast. But if you have all those habits and you are able to manage your mental and physical states, you're able to completely stave off burnout. Now, there is a certain point, obviously, where you can't work 20 hours a day because then you don't actually have the time to do those habits that stave off the burnout and you will burn out. So there are obviously some logistical problems here. But for the most part, it's, burnout is simply just from for most people, it's doing something they don't enjoy. That's a big aspect of it. It's not training. It's not getting sunlight. It's not walking. It's not eating right. It's not sleeping right. Sleep is massive nobody like everybody knows sleep is important it's the same as distractions and i think it's actually probably very closely linked uh, everybody knows sleep is important but nobody prioritizes it very very few people prioritize it obviously it's sort of coming to the limelight now thanks to the likes of like huberman and matthew walker and all but most people don't prioritize it and i think a lot of that reason is because everyone's addicted to their phones they're sitting there scrolling before bed you know they're eating right before they go to bed which has a bigger impact than you think they're taking caffeine at 3 p.m which means they're going to get and all of these factors combine which means you get crap sleep which means tomorrow you're tired which means you're more likely to take more caffeine which will ruin that night's sleep you're more likely to eat more food which will ruin your sleep you're more likely to do have less willpower and spend more time scrolling which is going to ruin your sleep and therefore eventually you're going to burn out now vicious circle it is massively vicious and then there's obviously some disparity because some people can handle more stress than others and some people can handle less a lot of it again comes back to being self-aware knowing that like okay if i work this much i'm going to burn out it's happened in the past but if you're not self-aware you won't be able to recognize those patterns so you have to be self-aware to recognize the patterns and recognize what areas you need to improve to help stave off that burnout. I've come close a couple of times and it's when I've just turned up the full throttle on like everything that I'm doing and not understood that I've maybe only got a particular number of units of energy to allocate towards everything. 
And equally, sometimes because you really care and you enjoy what you're doing, there's an element of like you don't feel tired, but you said there is definitely a tipping point where there are only a number of hours in the day and when sleep drops off, when caffeine becomes a crutch, when like desire to train goes down, but you're still pushing really hard, you typically know that like you start to get it. And it was probably about November 21 was the last time that I really pushed it. And I got this like, not like bags under my eyes, but just like this redness under my eyes. And it was kind of like sometimes it would go purpley and it would not go away no matter what I was doing. It was like an allergic reaction. And I was like, I wonder what this is. And it was just like my body, like openly showing me that I was really fatigued and refusing to clear up. And so until I pulled back a little bit on at least one or two of the things that I was doing and understand that not all the dials on the dashboard can be turned up to 100 because you've only got a set number of units to allocate. It was big for me. And I think people that are passionate about what they do are sometimes more prone to just keeping everything on hard and knowing that, oh, it's fine. Like this feels like fun. So for me, like scheduling in a third podcast for the week, like I'm fucking excited to do it because I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward doing the interview and researching for it and then creating the content off the back of it and putting it out there. But it's probably too much in terms of a tipping point in terms of the amount of time I physically have able to allocate towards it. Yeah, well, everything's a trade-off. Like literally everything. So it's like the thing that always takes ahead is sleep because, you know, especially if you're passionate about it, you're working later. What's going to take ahead? Sleep. So everything's a trade-off. You only have, like you said, I like the way you put it in the like units of energy. You only have a finite uni units of energy. And if you're spending more working you're going to have less training you're going to have less for spending time cooking good nutritious food you're going to have less for sleep and the thing about sleep i have a real big thing about sleep right i love it but there's one of the mistakes i see a lot of people make is they want eight hours sleep that's the golden you know everyone wants eight hours sleep that's gold but right so let's say you want to get up at 6 a.m that means you have to what go to bed at 10 p.m right most people get that wrong. They think 10 p.m. I need to get to bed and go to sleep. But it's going to take you half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour and a bad night to get to sleep, which means you're only getting seven. So however many hours of sleep you want, you need one hour extra. You need to be going, if you want to go to sleep at 10, you need to be going to bed at nine. I've been talking about this in terms of like a buffer zone and I completely agree because it, whoops become so popular nowadays and one of the guys that I quite regularly train with was showing me his today and he was he works quite an unusual um, shift pattern in terms of as a pilot and he was laughing he was like I never realized that eight hours in bed is not eight hours of sleep and I was like well, 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 well this is like he's taking the red pill in the matrix and he's like woken up to the fact that this is how, this is how the world is and it's really funny that people don't realize that and even if you like some people get, get to sleep really quickly but they have like loads of micro awakenings during the night and it sabotages their quality so they're down at like 80 70 percent and 70 percent of eight hours is not eight hours so you're 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 never achieving that kind of mystical magical number that everyone's aiming for so i, I love that you you bring that up and ross the second last thing i want to ask you before we ask where the best place to continue the conversation is with somebody that's as driven as you i want to know what success would look like in 10 years time for you to look back on those 10 years and be like pleased or proud of them in a weird way just keep doing what I'm doing because I love what I'm doing. I love what I'm doing. I just want to do it on a bigger level. I just want to do it on a bigger level, reach more people, impact more people because I completely love what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Yeah, I think that's it. I just want to do everything I'm doing on a bigger level. It's a really simple answer. Because, because you've done that level of life tapping, you've done that conscious alignment, I think it's really healthy that you're able to be like, look, I've mapped it out and I'm kind of living 
the dream and don't get me wrong that'll make like in five years time something might happen with your life that you're like you might alter the path and that's totally cool but if you're living in alignment with yourself in 10 years time you're probably going to be doing roughly similar stuff because it's ticking those boxes for you right now well yeah completely i think you know like the thing i have a weird thing with long-term visions as much as i think they're so crucial so much changes so fast so much changes so fast because like right okay i like exactly how i'm what i'm doing right now but in six months time i might get fed up with northern ireland and be like i need to move out of here and that completely changes everything so you know i think it's figuring out what you want but allowing sort of room to change and room to pivot i always like the word pivot i think pivoting is very important because you know it's same with we go back to careers which we've touched on quite a bit in this is like a lot of people get into a career because that's what they wanted to do and then they're never willing to pivot they're never willing to pivot so they get stuck because they might have specialized in a certain aspect of their career but they really wanted to do this one but because they went down this they never allow themselves to pivot to this one so true like you can chain yourself to something but I, I, like i think there's been so much value within this conversation when it comes to understanding what you want and then following through on that and some of the different frameworks you've included and then of course we've gone deep on on productivity as well ross but i've had a tremendous time i'm sure you have as well and if the listeners want to carry on the conversation with you where should they head towards the ross harkness on every platform every platform search up the ross harkness and you will find me i'm going big on youtube at the minute like that's where i'm putting most of my energy so go follow me on youtube youtube will be linked in the show notes i want you guys to head across there and make sure you show ross some love as well and i'll be back to speak to you guys again very very soon